If you have your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are headed today as we continue our way through the book of Ephesians. Um, We'll be tackling the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, as we begin, uh, I just want to share, I have always loved trees. I've always loved trees. I, I can't quite describe it, but there is something about the image of a tree that has always resonated with my heart, right? I mean, it, trees have roots that run deep and branches that stretch high. They live for hundreds of years, and yet they are brand new every spring with fresh blossoms and new growth. I love trees. I've, I've always loved them. A couple of years ago, Caitlin's sister gave me this incredible book called The Hidden Life of Trees. Have any of you ever heard of it? It's fantastic. Um, it shares all kinds of these incredible stories and wisdom from trees. In the first part of the book, the author describes the forest as a kind of community. And and it explains how the tree's root systems actually connect with one another underground so that they can share nutrients with each other. Uh, It also talks about how the branches grow up, but but as they do that, they almost never grow past each other. They, They keep room for their sort of tree friends that are next to them. It even explains how how trees can warn one another of danger by putting off different things into the airs that into the air that that other trees can sense, right? And then this the whole forest ends up adapting and becoming more resilient together. It's, it's fascinating just how incredibly alive trees are, but but living at quite a different pace than we do, right? And so I think that this tree imagery is is really helpful as we think about what it means to be the church. Because after all, the church is meant to be kind of like a forest community, sharing nutrients with one another, warning one another of danger. It's meant to be something that is ancient and rooted, yet also growing and fresh. And Paul has already used some tree imagery Uh, In the prayer that we read last week, remember, rooted and grounded in love. And I think that keeping this tree imagery in mind is really helpful as we continue reading in Ephesians this week. I'll I'll explain more along the way, but first, let's go ahead and read our passage. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's 
gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. And when it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your scripture, for your word that you have for us today. I pray that as we consider these words, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you, and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this passage kind of marks a shift in the letter, because up to this point, the whole letter has been all about the action of God, right? Chapter one is all about the wonders accomplished in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated on the throne. And then chapter two is all about how God has made dead people alive and divided people one. And then chapter three, Paul continues to elaborate on the great mystery of all that God has done. And chapter three ends with prayer and praise for the glory of all that God has accomplished. And then we turn to chapter 4. And for the first time in Ephesians, there are some actions for us. There's some instructions for us. Verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, or more literally, to walk in a manner worthy to which you have been called. The way the book of Ephesians flows demonstrates something fundamental about Christian life. Our actions are a response to God's action. Our actions are a response to God's action. We don't act in order to get God's attention. We act because in Christ, God has 
our, has gotten our attention. You see, Christian life begins with us as, as Paul wrote, us being made alive together with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. And it is only after we have sat under the blessing of God's great love that we then get up to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which he has called us. Like a baby, we start cradled in God's arms, and then we learn to walk and live. Our actions are a response to God's action. We start by sitting and then walk. This is the shape of Christian life. Now, I, I said we're going to be holding on to this tree imagery, so, so let's get back to that. All right, trees, as wonderful as they are, need a few key ingredients in order to stay alive and grow. They need soil to root in. They need sunlight to shine on them. And they need showers to water them. Soil, sun, and showers. These are the key ingredients for growth. And the end of our passage names the goal of growth in building itself up in love. Right? That, that's the goal. That, that's what we're headed toward. And, and throughout the passage, I think Paul describes some key ingredients for our growth as the church, as the people of God. He describes the soil of good character. He describes the sunlight of, of right doctrine. And then he also describes the showers of spiritual gifts. And all of these lead to growing up into Christ. So I want to consider each one of these together this morning. So first, we have at the beginning of chapter 4, the soil of good character. And I love that this is where Paul starts. As he transitions from God's actions to our actions, he, he could have started anywhere, right? He could have started by giving us instructions for, for various acts of service. Or he, he could have started with directions for how to properly worship. But he doesn't. Paul starts by naming character qualities. Look at verses 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, peace. This is the good soil out of which our actions must grow. Paul begins with character. And this runs much deeper than, than we've often been taught by our culture and even by our churches. You see, in, in the secular world, the most important thing is to have a good reputation. It doesn't matter, uh, really, what you do or don't do or what you're actually like, as long as you have a good reputation, you'll succeed. 
right? People and companies spend all kinds of money managing their image, maintaining their brand, making sure that they have a good reputation. And we can easily fall into that too, right? We can easily sort of curate our social media profiles, the decor around our house, the things that people see and say about us. This is what the secular world teaches us. The most important thing is a good reputation, all right? And then, and then the religious world teaches us that the most important thing is to do good deeds, you need to do service projects. You need to attend church activities. You need to have devotional time every day. You need to share the gospel with a certain number of people each week. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, now these are good things that, that we really should be committed to. But if the most important thing is doing them all and checking them all off on this never-ending list, well, then we will very quickly become burnt out and bitter, right? And then we find ourselves doing good deeds, but instead of doing them with humility and gentleness, we do them with pride and arrogance. Instead of doing them with patience and love, we end up seeking out competition and productivity, right? And we end up doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And so this passage runs even deeper. The goal is not a good reputation or doing good deeds, but rather the cultivation of good character. This is the soil out of which our actions grow. And the character qualities that Paul mentions all require community. Every single one of them requires doing them with other people. Humility requires relationship, right? Someone to submit to, someone to humble yourself before. Gentleness requires relationship, someone to be kind to, someone to care for. Patience requires relationship. If you're all by yourself, well, then what are you waiting for, right? You need other people to practice patience. And then there's that great phrase, bearing with one another in love, right? First of all, well, obviously, one another requires community. But, but I want to say a little more about this, because when Paul says bearing with one another, he doesn't mean reluctantly, right? Like, oh, man, I don't really like you, so I guess I'm just going to bear with you, all right? That's not what Paul is saying here. The image here is one of carrying something. You know, if you're carrying something heavy, well, then you're bearing it, right? And so what Paul is saying is that we don't bear burdens alone. Rather, we bear them with one another. And why? Well, we bear them with one another because of love. That's what it means to bear with one another in love. It means that your problems are my problems. It means that I am committed to carrying your burdens with you. 
It means that we are committed to being together in both joy and pain, bearing with one another in love. So all of these different character qualities require community, require one another, and that community is to be marked by the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And all of this is the soil out of which we grow. Now, as, as we look around the world right now, in the midst of a pandemic, racial tensions, a very bitter election cycle, I, I think it's pretty easy to see a good bit of pride and arrogance, division, and hate. And I think it's worth asking, who are we becoming as we engage this world around us, who are we becoming? Not what is your reputation in this world around us, not what are you doing in this world around us, but who are you becoming? Is your character becoming more prideful and arrogant and angry and divisive? Or is your character growing in humility? and gentleness, love, and peace. Oh, may we be rooted and grounded in love, right? This is the soil out of which we grow. Paul begins with good character. This is fundamental. And so he begins with the soil of good character to describe a community life marked by unity and peace. And then he goes on to describe another key ingredient for our growth, the sunlight of right doctrine. All right, look at verses four through six. He writes, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. So if good character is the soil in which we are planted, then I think that right doctrine is the sunlight that shines down upon us. It's the light by which we see. And it all comes from a single source, the sun, right? And that's the point that Paul makes here. Over and over again, seven times, Paul uses the word one to describe our faith. Now, now there is so much that can be said here. These three verses could be a whole sermon series in and of themselves. I think I've heard it preached before. But I think the point is this. The unity of the church is based in the unity of God. The unity of the church is based in the unity of God. There is one God who Paul refers to here with the triune language of Spirit, Lord, and Father. And there is one church who Paul describes with one hope, one faith, and one baptism. The unity of the church is based in the unity of God. There is one God, and so there is one church. 
And so though Paul begins with the soil of character, right doctrine, we can see, is also important. It's important for us to think rightly about God. It's important for us to study theology, to search scripture, to learn from the history and traditions of the church. You know, a good study Bible can help with this, as well as a good theology book. Even just reading and and reflecting on some of those early creeds, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, can be a really theologically rich experience. If you've never dug into those, it's worth looking into. Because our understanding of God matters. And it matters because it is out of God that we become the church. Or to put it another way, the goal is not just for us to be people with good character, but for our character to be grounded in a good God. We are not just to be good people. We are to be God people. And the problem is that there are some churches that focus almost entirely on character at the expense of theology. And then there are other churches who focus almost entirely on theology at the expense of character. And so you end up with a bunch of, you know, Bible-thumping Christians who don't know how to love But we need both. We need both the soil of good character and the sunlight of right doctrine to grow in Christ. This is what Paul teaches us. But but that's not all, right? It goes on. Trees don't only need soil and sunlight. They also need showers of water in order to grow. And that's the image that comes to my mind as as we keep on reading. Paul goes on to describe these gifts of grace that have been given by Christ. He connects this passage to a, a, a couple verses from Psalm 68. And then it's very easy for us to just sort of skip past verses 9 and 10 that are often there in parentheses. Because we just don't have any idea what to make of them. But, but the point is this. The gifts we have received are from the same Christ who descended to the earth and even lower into death. And he is also the one who has ascended in resurrection and even higher to be seated over all things. It is this Christ who reigns over all who gives us these gifts by the Spirit. These are part of the same story. That's why the image of a shower comes to mind, because these spiritual gifts are poured out from one God over to the church. Though there is one God, there are many gifts, just like the rain is made up of many drops. So in verse 11, Paul writes, The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. 
And, and this verse is another one of those that could easily be a whole sermon series in and of itself. But I want to say a little bit about each one of these things. And so let's, let's look at them. The first is apostles. All right. Now, this word is used in a number of different ways throughout the New Testament, sometimes in a sort of official capacity as in the 12 apostles, uh, or the way that Paul describes apostleship in First and Second Corinthians or Galatians. But then it can also be used in a more generic way that could be applied to anyone. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolo. And this means to send, to send. And so the word apostle simply means someone who is sent. And today we would call that a missionary, right? So someone who is sent to, to new places to establish new communities. This is a missionary. This is an apostle. And apostles are, are uh, the, the kind of person who, they are a people person. They love to help create community. They love to connect people to one another and with God. They're the kind of people who offer new and fresh ways, often in new and different places. These are the apostles. This is what he's describing here. Now next, we see the word prophets. And this word, again, can be used in an official way to talk about the prophets from the Old Testament. But again, it can be used in a much more generic way that can be applied to anyone. Like when Paul gives instructions for prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, he's just talking to average Christians. And in short, prophecy can be understood as a timely word, a word that is spoken at just the right time. Often one that challenges or encourages those to whom it is directed. Prophets are those people who always seem to have just the right thing to say at just the right time. They, they often speak things that shed a new light on a given situation. Their words carry deep wisdom and keep people from growing stagnant or getting stuck, encourages people to keep moving and growing. These are the prophets. Next, we see the word evangelists. Now, this word, I think, is often very misunderstood, especially uh, its synonym, evangelical, has come, been co-opted by our culture to mean all kinds of crazy things, right? But very simply, the word evangelist comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good message or good news. To be an evangelist is to be a good storyteller. To be a good storyteller, someone uh, who can tell good stories and not just any good story, but the good story right? These are the people who proclaim the good news of Jesus raised from the dead, reigning over all, bringing in his kingdom on earth. They're not angry people picketing at street corners. They are good storytellers that invite people to join in and become 
part of the good story that God is writing. These are the evangelists. And then finally, there are the pastors and teachers. Now, it's a little ambiguous in the Greek as to whether these are two different gifts, pastors and teachers, or if it's a sort of a hybrid description, pastor teachers. Uh, there are scholars that argue about that. But regardless, what these have in common is that, is that both of these, pastors and teachers, work on the ground level. They work with the communities that have been created by the apostles, and they work to translate the timely messages of the prophets and the good news, the good stories of the evangelists, into understandable knowledge and everyday life. This is what the pastors and the teachers do. So if apostles create community, and then the prophets and the evangelists communicate to community, well, then pastors and teachers cultivate community. Pastors help to care for people going through challenges and transitions. And teachers help to instruct people with knowledge that's accessible and understandable. They are cultivators of the heart and the mind. These are the pastors and the teachers. And so this is the list of gifts that Paul gives us here in Ephesians. As I describe each one of these, I'm curious, do any of you resonate with some of these gifts? Do any of you kind of hear some of these descriptions and go, hey, I, I've experienced that? Or maybe there's someone else that comes to mind when you hear some of these descriptions. I know someone like that. Yeah? You know, and, and if that's the case, man, I hope that you can continue to grow in your gifting. And I hope that you can continue to encourage one another in your giftings. But then maybe there are others of you who've kind of heard us talk through all of this and, and you're thinking, nope, I don't resonate with any of those. I don't know what to do with any of those. I guess there's nothing for me to do. And if that's you, well, just hang in there because you're not off the hook. Look at the next verse. God has given all of these gifts, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see the saints? That's you. That is every single one of you. So if you didn't resonate with any of the earlier gifts described here, well, then reach out to someone and say, hey, I need some help being equipped for the work of ministry. Whatever that ministry might look like in your life, in your context. One of the commentaries that I was reading this week mentioned the, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, that, that that time period recovered the reality of the priesthood of all believers, right? That everyone has direct access to God in Christ. There's no need for it to be mediated by clergy or, or ceremony. All can come to God in Christ directly. And the commentary went on to say that it's about time we recovered the 
not just the priesthood of all believers, but the ministry of all believers. The reality that not only does everyone have direct access to God, but also everyone has gifts from God to do the ministry of God wherever you are, with whoever you're with. And I couldn't agree more. Because the role that I or that the elders play here in this church is not to do all the ministry of the church, but rather to equip you for the work of ministry that you have. Our role is to show you that this shower of spiritual gifts reigns upon you as well. So these are the ingredients for growing in Christ. We see the soil of good character, the sunlight of right doctrine, the shower of spiritual gifts. And with each one of these all working together, we are able to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. All of these ingredients enable our growth with right doctrine. We won't be tossed to and fro and blown about by all the winds of false doctrine. With good character, we're not going to give way to trickery and deceit. And with spiritual gifts, we are equipped to speak the truth in love. And this is growth. This is what it is to grow in God. Not necessarily growth in numbers and attendance, but growth in character, knowledge, and service. It's what verse 13 describes as unity, knowledge, and maturity. These are the things that should guide our goals as a church, rooted in love and growing in Christ. And so as we reflect on this passage, I want to ask you, as you think about these different ingredients, which one could you use a little more of in your life? There's the soil of good character. Man, we never finish that work. There's always, God is always rooting out things in us, transforming our characters, making us into new people. And then there's the sunlight of right doctrine. We never really finish with that either. We're always going to be wondering at the mystery of God, searching for who he is. But maybe we could dig a little deeper into that. What does scripture say about this? What, is, what does theology have to teach us about God and who he is? Or then there are the showers of spiritual gifts. And maybe you've heard talk about that, but you're like, I don't really know what that looks like for me. What does it look like for me to grow in that gifting that God has for me? What does it look like for me to be equipped for the work of ministry? Which one of these ingredients can you dig in a little bit deeper, grow in a little bit more? I want you to ponder that this week. These are the things that help us to grow in Christ as we are rooted in love and grow up into the head of him as we are built in love.